What's up, everybody? This is Reverend Peter Watts, the coordinator for the African American Black Council in the RCA, and I am excited to share with you my new podcast called The Black Church Still Speaks. Each month, I will be talking to people I love, know, and have always admired from a distance who are experts on everything related to the black church. You'll hear from theologians, preachers, teachers, nonprofit and marketplace leaders, and maybe even hear from a few people in film and media who love the church and want to see her regain her missional vitality for the 21st century. We're going to have those candid conversations. You know, the topics that are happening in the parking lot after the sermon is over, like mental health and trauma, church hurts, human sexuality, politics, marketplace ministry, and so much more. So journey with me each month as we hear from folks you may know or may be meeting for the very first time. It's almost like listening in and eavesdropping on a casual conversation happening in my living room. Episodes drop every month. Subscribe to our podcast on all available platforms where you get your podcast from. The Black Church Still Speaks. It's a podcast that centers black voices and adds to the larger conversation. Yo, what's up, everybody? This is Reverend Peter Watts from the African-American Black Council, and I have the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Don Davis of the Urban Ministry Institute. I am so excited to have him as our very first guest on our show. Dr. Davis attended Wheaton College and Wheaton Graduate School and graduated summa cum laude in both his BA and MA degrees in biblical studies and systematic theology, respectively. He earned his PhD, watch this, in religion from the University of Iowa School of Religion, where he also founded the Urban Ministry Institute more than 25 years ago to train and equip urban leaders from under-resourced and underserved communities. He started with World Impact more than 46 years ago. This brother is a great first interview. So get ready. This is going to be a good one. Uh, First of all, I just again want to say thank you uh, for uh, accepting the invitation of being on um, our podcast, The Black Church Still Speaks. Why don't we just uh, open up and just tell us about yourself and your ministry. Certainly. Um, I uh, am from, originally, I'm from uh, Wichita, Kansas. Um, And I grew up here uh, at a time when when things began to change in society. Uh, I was a part of the first uh, generation of folk who um, were cross-bussed. Uh, which means that, uh, especially in high school, I mean, I, I, it was uh, 69 was the beginning of cross-busing uh, in Kansas with Ernest. Uh, and uh, I was a part of that generation that went through that. I mean, race race was, was huge. When all the great cities of America uh, were ignited with the death of of Bobby Kennedy and Martin King, Wichita, Kansas actually burned too. I mean, there was actual National Guard. I'll never forget that as a as a young man, just seeing, you know, soldiers, you know, in my backyard. <laughs> I mean, it was like, it was, it was an extraordinary thing. I grew up at a time that was that was charged with race. And uh uh I accepted the Lord. Uh, after a stint in drugs and whatever, and just searching, uh, I came to Christ and immediately was brought in 
to the original church our family went to. Uh, and it was through that that I heard about World Impact and joined uh, World Impact, an inner city missions organization back in 75. Uh, one way or the other, I've been associated with that uh, since then. So uh, I've been in, it'll be 46 years with them. I've played every role at World Impact, uh, director, vice president of education. Uh, currently I'm vice president of uh, church resources and I'm the founder director of the Urban Ministry Institute, which started uh, 25, we're in our 26th year now. And the, wow. with, the, with the particular vision of coming under and alongside God called and gifted men and women who, who, who have been called to plant and pastor, serve churches that, that, that seek to exalt Christ's name in communities that are at risk, communities of poverty, both domestically and around the world. So mm. I've been doing that for quite a while now. Uh, I've been in the city. I I, um, I took a stint off, went to Wheaton, Wheaton College, got a PhD from University of Iowa School of Religion in uh, religion, uh, uh, theology and ethics, actually. So, yeah, it's been, it's been a full life. I'm married, but we have three children. Uh, we lost one of our oldest son we lost 17 years ago. Yeah, I mean, he he was a fine guy, fine Christian brother, but the Lord just took him. He was 26, and we thank God that we had all those years with him. I have a daughter who's a, a professor at University of North Texas, and my son works with me at the Institute in um, media and things like that. All right. Amen. Amen. And a few grandkids, too. Uh, and a know. few grandkids. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Uh, how, how how does it uh, uh, feel um, to be a grandfather? Like I'm going to be a oh, grandfather good. pretty soon. My my oldest daughter oh. is uh, uh, going to have a, a a child in July, and they said it's oh, it's like no other. Congratulations! Congratulations! <laughs> yeah, you know, being a grand being a grandparent is is you have the benefit of being wiser because you gave birth to uh, the, your grand uh, kids, mama and daddy. Uh -huh. or daddy. You know, you 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 actually get to have all the fun you wanted and to delegate the responsibility back to parents. There you go. Especially <laughs> when a grandkid is acting crazy and say, uh son, you need to come get your baby. Uh, <laughs> so oh. being a grandparent is is a marvelous thing. I think I think it it plays, you can play a very critical smart role in in the ongoing formation of mm. kids mm. uh you you are their daddy's daddy or their mama's mama uh mm -hmm. it's a pretty it's a pretty unique and marvelous thing so i know you'll be good man i, I just thank you I just thank know you, thank you. I just <laughs> <laughs> we'll see we'll see they they're going to call me g pop so we'll see <laughs> Well, when when you think about uh, the uh, the black church, mm -hmm. when you think about the black church and its future, what do you see? Well, I I think I think uh, hindsight is twenty twenty. It's really hard to talk about the future of the black church, or we shouldn't. I'll I'll say that without at least being informed about its past. Uh, the black church 
was birthed in in a in a context of of trouble and 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 difficulty and rejection and cruelty and against all odds it became uh what it it became what it became uh quite honestly with no support from the outside the black mm-hmm. church the black church was you know it uh uh it was sort of you know it was it was called you know scholars have dubbed it the invisible church uh it was it was underground it was illegal uh there were you you can't stop the gift of of the holy spirit there were black men and women who were gifted beyond words and frankly they were gifted in many ways oftentimes even during slavery you had slaves who were just anointed preachers and so they 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 you know <laughs> Uh, it's it's interesting that a lot of the the the, the uh, you know the the way the black church was was formed uh, it was its spiritual uh, commitment to freedom and its actual freedom were never aligned. Mm-hmm. It was, it, they were free in Christ, but they weren't free. There were codes actually written that just being baptized don't make you non-slave. So the black churches always had to fight in order to be in the fight, if you know what I mean. And that legacy is the key to its future. The black church is going to have to rediscover itself. It won't simply be able to do what it's done in the past. Uh, we now have whole generations that are completely oblivious to anything that has to do with the life, the 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 community, the structure of the black church, there are whole unchurched generations now in the black community. Folk who have never gone to church, their folks didn't go to church, uh, which is uh, an extraordinary thing. I mean, you could say fifty years ago that it was very very difficult to be in you know associated with any black family in America and not have some tie even the most remote to uh, the black church, but that's not true now. You have many, you have many families that have absolutely no contact and no desire to contact. So the black church is going to have to rediscover itself. It's gonna, the, the future of the black church is going to be anchored in whether or not it can really recontextualize itself for the very community that gave it birth and where it is now. Can the black community recontextualize the gospel in such a way that people who are heretofore unchurched can rediscover Christ in a way that it's that it actually matters to black life and black folk. They can't, they can't, they can't just assume that now. They're gonna have to rediscover that. So the future of the black church to me is going to be in missions. It's got to sort of rediscover what it means to do legitimate missions with their neighbors who are literally across the street. And that's interesting because, uh, like you said, 50 years ago, maybe even uh, 20 years ago, uh, everybody had some kind of association with church. Even if you didn't go, you knew Big Mama went to church and then on (laughs) Easter you went and you respected the church. And and now, um, literally driving down the street out here in LA in the Crenshaw area, I was driving down the street and there was a black church uh, that was on Crenshaw that's been there for years. And through the pandemic, it closed. And and now uh, it's uh, it has a cross there, uh, but now the cross is green because it's now a weed shop. So it went from a church... 
in the community to a dispensary. Oh and so, and so when I, when I was, when I saw that, I said, you know, we, something really yeah. is wrong and we do have to rediscover. That's uh, right. Yeah. We really do have to rediscover because there are whole communities and generations, like you said, that have no idea of yeah. the church yeah. experience. Yeah. See, this is really important. What you just brought up, uh, Pete, because in my mind, uh, the, if, if, if the black church simply ignores the trends and, and its realities, it will really relegate itself to just, to just being a non-force in the black community, which would be a tragedy. But if the, if the black church can in some way be honest enough to recognize that with the change of time and seasons, that whole new cultures of folk have, have emerged, new musics, new, new, new languages, new, new ways of relating, new ideas about everything. Uh, the challenge of the black church will be, can we be faithful to the ancient historic biblical gospel and yet make it, make, can we be so clear about it that people who've never gone can actually be convinced that Jesus of Nazareth has something to say to them, mm. that he's their contemporary, that this just ain't old fogey or your, your grandmama's experience or something like that. You know, I can remember, you know, as a kid growing up and going to church, you know, everybody deck, you wore your Sunday best. I mean, Sunday best. Right. Well, you know, you've got, you've got literally millions of folk, generations who don't own a suit, would never, would never wear one if they could. If, if, if the black church is going to really speak to the lives, the, the longings, the, 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 the challenges of black folk today, it's going to have to do what missionaries traditionally do when they go to a, another country. They're going to have to rediscover the people, uh, act with them legitimately, uh, separate communicating culture from communicating gospel. They're going to have to let people live free in Christ. And that's going to be a tall order. That, that ain't that ain't easy. That's a tall glass of water. Yeah, 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 most I, definitely. You're going to have to breathe. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to be easy for churches to do that, but it is possible. And I think the black church, it's necessary. We need the black church to do that. That's good. And, and so in, in terms of the biggest challenge, would you say that's one of the biggest challenges right now uh, with the, that the black church yeah. faces? Yeah, no question. In my mind, of all the things that the black church has historically taken on, uh, just historic uh, exclusion in society. It's been an advocate. Uh, it's you know the black church has been a, an an epicenter for social life. I mean, all your friends, people getting married there. I mean, the black church has been the center of power. Most of our leaders came from that. If you look, if you just laid out on a table the twenty five great issues of the black church, to me, the hands down, the issue that it must take seriously is how do we communicate to generations that have been completely unaffected by the life and ministry of the church up to this point? How do, how do we deal with, I mean, and I'd say this, I'd say this uh, technically, how do you deal with the neo-paganization of the black mm -hmm. community? I mean, you know, black folk, black folk, our communities are rich in culture and color and musics and everything, but religion is not playing that role anymore. 
mm-hmm. the black church can it, it simply can't say, well, uh, look, we've always had a role, therefore we will have a role. They're going to have to just be honest. They're going to have to say we have our role is diminished. Uh, it's hard for us to communicate. Uh, our, our forms and standards and norms are not recognized as authoritative anymore. We've got to we've got to find a way to tell the old old story in a new, fresh way to to the kids, to the to the adults, to the to the folk who are, who are living and striving to live in black communities today. It's going to have to learn that. Yeah. And it's a lot. It, it's a tall. It's a tall. It, it's not a uh, it's a high bar. Yeah. Uh, for the black church, but it can do it. It's always done it. It's always faced those troubles and responded in the past, but we might as well know Sarah's womb is dead and mm. it's going to take, we, we going to be, we going to need a miracle if we going to pull this off, but God, God can help us. God, yeah, can, yeah. God can do that. Now you use that word neo-paganism and it made me just think about um, just some of the what I call inner city mystery cults <laughs> in the black community. Yeah, yeah. You know, you, you know, you have, um, yeah, you know, the, um, uh, comedics you have, yeah. um, you know, the black Hebrew Israelites, you right. Have, you right. Know, and you have all the traditional, uh, kind that's of right. forms of religion that's always been in the uh, black community. And, yeah. and so yeah. now, uh, it, it, it feels like Christianity, uh, is competing, yeah. with these other what I call inner city mystery cults um and we're not winning because this younger generation seems to find more of a connection yeah. with the other uh kinds of uh religious expressions um uh because for some reason uh, Christianity uh, is not is not fitting the the bill for them uh yeah. in this generation you're and, exactly right and see and I think that I think that admitting that Pete is a big step if 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 you list out the steps of what what an informed black Christian community is going to have to do, it's going to have to admit what you just see. They're mm-hmm. going to have to say, "Y'all, we're behind the eight ball. We we have lost our ability to speak authoritatively in power uh, with a lot of people. They don't see us that way. They don't want they don't want to be associated with memes." And, and, and ideas and practices that speak of exploitation or, you know, or those sort of things. They want, they want clarity. They want truth. They, and they need that clarity in a way that they can understand. It needs to be communicated with power. And, with, and so that it's sort of the twin, the twin challenge of, of the black church. It's, gotta, it's got to recover the biblical vision on its own terms. Hmm. And frankly, I think it can. I think I think even the work that you're doing, your scholarship is going to help us in that. I think that if the black church can rediscover the power of the original apostolic witness to Christ and on its own terms, not not fraction, not, you know, refracted through, you know, white conservative this or, you know, health, wealth, that, or, I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, just a clean, biblical, apostolic faith. And then once we know what the ground is, then we have to cross the barriers of culture and class and age and those things and communicate that with with power in our communities. And that's the only way we're going to, how can we fight some of these, uh, what did you call them, mystery cults? Inner city mystery cults. (laughs) (laughs) 
how can we compete with them when they offer so much, demand very little, and and frankly have zero to nothing to do with the God of Scripture and 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 you know Jesus. Since we're uh, talking about uh, the Black Church rediscovering, um, you know, its missional vitality and, and being able to do that uh, by looking back, can yeah. you just talk about missions and how important missions is and its relevance uh, to the church and, and just kind of like the history of missions? Yeah, it, missions is, it, and anyone who loves missions is, well, I know you do and I do, uh, it, you, you have to you have to do a tongue in cheek because missions without equivocation, was one of the forms in which the West, uh, it was one of the tools that the West tried to use to do nothing but to, to, to crush, to control, to colonize peoples who didn't know the Lord. Missions, you know, it's amazing that missionaries and conquerors were on the same boat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when they came, when they came, when they came over from across the seas. And so in some ways, missions has this, this sad and colored past of imperialization and, and, and craziness. It, it ignored the receiving cultures and sort of imposed Western, usually white, European uh, sort of hegemonies on people. It just forced them to be like us, uh, come to Christ and be like us was sort of mm-hmm. the basic message. But where missions was legit and where, where Christ was honored and the apostolic witness has been maintained, uh, missions has been one of the main ways that the church has affirmed the generalship of the kingdom of God in a people uh, without reference to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Missions, missions declares that all folk everywhere, of every clan and climb and, and, and background and, 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 and history, Every one of them are full partners in the gospel, and every single church that is planted is an outpost of the kingdom of God, and the citizenship of the people in that community are as valid as the Pope or anybody else. When Mm -hmm. missions has really worked, missions has affirmed the image of God in people, and it's it's allowed them to discover their place as equal partners in, in expanding uh, the kingdom of God, and and that is what I love about missions. When 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 contextualization really occurs, and not imperialization, when when missions is really, its job has been to go and to make plain, make it plain, the way the black church say. Mm-hmm. When, when the goal has been to make plain the gospel, uh, in another community or culture or nation. And that, and that gospel has been allowed to thrive on its own under the spirit, then God has raised up his own people, uh, his own people who are brown or yellow or, or poor or whatever. God Almighty, the gospel is the means by which God actually is, is set free, those who repent believe, to really represent Christ with honor in their, among their own people. And that's, that's where missions Missions can instruct the black church. When missions is done right, missions really rediscovers on the one hand the apostolic witness of the church, and on the other hand, it communicates it in such a way that the people who never heard it before can hear it as if for the first time, with without all the accretions and junk and mm-hmm. other stuff. 
Because quite honestly, that's one of the problems that the black church is facing in America. People may want to hear about Jesus of Nazareth, but they don't want to become a conservative white person or a Republican mm-hmm. or this or that. And, and, as, and as long as we sort of stitch uh, Christ and culture together like that, we give, a, we give a bad sense of who Christ is and what the gospel is. I was uh, just thinking uh, about uh, a class that I took uh, at Fuller um, on church history, and we were talking about missions. And what was so uh, rich to me in that class was looking at the history of missions and seeing how uh, Christianity spread uh, into Asia and into Ethiopia and all throughout West Africa and how those cultures took the gospel message and made it their own and That's right. uh, even made the cross their own. And, right. and, and so it, it expressed it. This is like wherever Christianity showed up, it expressed itself in that culture. Yeah. Uh, then something happened <laughs> and all of a sudden everybody had to be something else other than yeah, that's exactly contextualizing right. it for their own culture. That's exactly right. And I, I say maybe it was done you know, you can either you can either form a theory that it was a conspiracy or it was done naively, but all too all too often, the gospel has been sort of linked to sort of subcultural norms, uh, and and essentially it's just become a wagon that a that a dominant culture can just import its own moralities, kinship patterns, understandings of life, and then just sort of re, try to remake a culture in its own image. And everybody is against um, uh, any any read of Christianity that just turns it into a tool for colonization and, and imperialization. And unfortunately, right. that happened a lot. That, uh, unfor- unfortunately. Uh, and right. I think, I think I'll be honest, I think this is one of the great challenges of, of the black church in America. Can't, is it possible to so contextualize the, the teachings, the life, the claims of the ancient church in such a way it, as, as the black church did. The black church made the gospel come alive to people who were descendants of U.S. slaves, and they they found their voice, their music. They, they rediscovered leadership. They built their communities based on, on, on Christian notions that were not mediated by, you know, their masters of somebody else. Mm-hmm. Like you said, wherever Christianity has been allowed to actually t- to take hold on its own terms, it just does amazing. I, I can't wait, Pete, to see the gospel take hold in black God culture or 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 you know, I mean, really take hold in mm-hmm. in, in 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 hip-hop culture or uh, look, I just think the gospel, the, the the problem of the gospel is not that it's old-fashioned. The problem of the gospel is that it it never gets contextualized in a way that is both true to the gospel and true to the culture. Yeah, and that's yeah. the that's the challenge. How can you be both? And some yeah. some people don't even think you can. They don't even right. you you can't. You know, being a Christian means by definition you're gonna be. No, you got you got to deny mm-hmm. culture. No. No, mm-hmm. uh, praise God. We, we ain't wearing yarmulkes and stuff like that. You can be black right. and Christian. Thank God. Right, right. 
And so, and so when you think about um, your journey uh, in missions and missions work, you said uh, uh, the Urban Ministry Institute is yeah. 25, 26 years yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, old now. And so when you think about your work in missions, what if, and what you've been called to, what is the one thing that stands out to you in your journey? Mm-hmm. Wow, what a great question. I mean, you know, uh, you can tell a good question because it's impossible to answer. <laughs> Look, one thing, the one thing I'm most proud of uh, with everything that I've done, and I'll just I'll just broaden this from not only the Institute, but my my nearly half century of ministry. Uh, it would be the affirmation uh, of the of the of the fundamental humanity of black folk, po folk in the gospel. My my dissertation was called Black and Human. Uh, it was a, it was a, I, I, I explored the relationship between Paul Tillich, the great U.S. Uh, um, theologian, and Dr. King. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. King had a very uh, living and, and powerful understanding of Black folk as human beings. Now, that doesn't sound like revolutionary, but the idea that Black folk are full human beings is still being played out in American politics. Uh, it has never been in Western civilization uh, a, a, a truth you could take for granted that black folk, and I would add to that, poor folk, yellow folk, brown folk, people of a certain ilk, they were not fully human. The idea that you are black and human is is the core idea to me uh, in thinkers like King and Mandela and those. All they were trying to do is, if, if I could summarize it, is Black pole folk are human beings too. Mm. They, they deserve the same rights. Look, this idea is the most significant thing I've done. I think it's the thing that, 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 that the Institute, I'm so proud of the Institute. We begin with the Imago Dei, the image of God. Every single human being is so priceless that they should be treated with respect and 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 kindness they should be they should be protected and defended their rights should be this is this is just basic christian uh, human thinking 101 mm-hmm. and and it it's it's the very nature of the gospel to me you can tell a good ministry because a good ministry is going to affirm that god loves the buddhist and the satanist and the Christian, and in the same way, it's mm-hmm. scandalous. A human being is priceless. That's why mm. Christ died for all of them. <laughs> it is scandalous. <laughs> it is scandalous, and especially in light of what's going on now in the news, that we're still having to defend the humanity of people. Uh, it seems to me that being a Christian, just a regular Christian, uh, who is trained in vacation Bible school like true. <laughs> I mean, they mm. don't have to be very deep. Uh, that person, Jesus loves me, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. That's that's what Tumi is, Tumi is, is seeking to affirm that every single Christian, regardless of background or class or culture or gender, every believer, is called and gifted by the Spirit and deserves to discover their place in the kingdom and fulfill that. Mm-hmm. That is what, that is what, that to me is, 
That is a way of recovery. That's a road back for the black church if it could recover that. Yeah, the sagging, the sagging boy in the city <laughs> and grandmama with her church hat. My mama had plenty of church hats. Uh, both of them are, are equally human and both of them equally need to be cherished and cared for and incorporated into the church. That's a great challenge, but that certainly is what I'm most proud of, I think. I have uh, been a uh, facilitator of uh, Tumi courses. I've uh, taken uh, Tumi courses, um, or Capstone, I should say, and yeah, yeah. Um, and and then I've also been a part of Evangel uh, Church oh, yeah. Plant School yeah. and uh, been a coach. And oh, uh, and goodness. one thing that I found uh, that was so um, unique about those experiences is that uh, I didn't have to have the MDiv or the PhD to facilitate uh, those classes. And the students um, uh, most often uh, were from urban poor communities, uh, many of whom had not uh, graduated high school. This was their first kind of uh, uh, formal education and they grabbed hold of it um, and they learned how to read. Uh, yeah. They learned a scripture. Uh, they yeah. became uh, 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 researchers and yeah. academics or, 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 or academic. They, they were really, uh, uh, really uh, grabbing hold of the uh, academia uh, yeah. and uh, and it was just unique. What what is it um, that you that you feel about uh, the Urban Ministry Institute and all of its resources that you have uh, developed uh, over the years uh, that makes it so unique that um, uh, somebody from uh, Skid Row, yeah, yeah, feels like yeah, God has called yeah, them to yeah, do something, yeah, yeah, yeah has yeah. allowed them to take a capstone class, and three years later plant and pastor a church. Yeah, see, see, boy, I'm, I, it's so refreshing to hear you summarize your experience with Toomey, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I know you did well. I would have loved to say it under your, your coaching or facilitation. But, you know, I think, I think that if you could bundle one, all of the great assumptions and insights of Toomey into a single sentence, we are unequivocal in, in our belief in the calling and gifting of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, you know, the Holy Spirit is, is one of the members of the Trinity in classic Christian doctrine. He is God. He gives, according to the scripture, the gifts to whomever he will. You know, our kid, some of my uh, president, uh, you know, I know I hobnob with a lot of guys who are presidents of seminaries and who, uh, who are involved in theological and training innovation. And I, I tell them, I joke them, I said, you know that John the Baptist wouldn't be accepted in your school. <laughs> you, you, you realize that somebody could raise somebody from the dead and not matriculate through the fine seminary you're going through, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> you still got to have money. You got to, you got to, you got to, you know, the the you've got to qualify academically. Mm -hmm. Look, it's it it is just simply unchristian and flat out wrong to conceive of Christian training only for those who have the money and the academic background to do it. It sort of is silly in some ways. Now, no Christian that you would ever talk to 
No enlightened one would say, of course, in order to be used of God, you have to have academic, you have to have plenty of money, you have to, you have to, you have to have gone to great schools, have a BA. Well, 95% of, of, of the, uh, and I think this is recent, 95% of the past, the world's pastors and Christian workers have no formal uh, education of any kind. If you were to fill up the top schools, the ATS schools, the Association of Theological Schools, the, the great uh, uh, branding and, and uh, uh, academic affiliation uh, institution represented by dozens and dozens of seminaries, if you packed each one of those schools to its capacity, uh, it would take you three years to go from 5% to 6%. Mm. If the Holy Spirit fell on LA, there's not enough schools to, to mm -hmm. trade all those folk. Mm -hmm. And so what essentially what we're saying is that, uh, and and then, then not only think of the training that they, they get, many of the people train, how can you, when you owe $75,000 after seminary, go to a church of 38 people that mm -hmm. on a good Sunday, we, we collected $52.18 a day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I remember so, that on the Sunday school placard. <laughs> The attendance in the in the offering. <laughs> so it's so interesting because without saying that we're saying if you're poor or if you go to a community of Christ, if you set up an outpost of the kingdom in a tough neighborhood and none of y'all got money, don't expect us to deploy any of our fine seminary and Bible school folk train our liberal Christian liberal arts folk to come. They have mm -hmm. to they have to handle their debt. They have to deal with that. What Toomey has sought to affirm is that regardless of your situation, bivocational, it doesn't matter if you can read or whatever, the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable, Paul said. They cannot be changed. God doesn't take them back. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter where you you from. I slung dope before I became this, this dude. You know, I, mm -hmm. I, I, I didn't know anything. When Christ came to me, I immediately sensed his gifts in teaching and, and study and leadership development. I wanted to do it. I, it didn't matter to me what, what people said about my background or that. Uh, to me, what we, what we are seeking to do is simply tangibly affirm the anointing and the gifting, the unction of the Holy Spirit in ordinary people. There's not a Christian who's ever declared Jesus Lord that don't deserve the chance to fulfill the mission and ministry that God has given them. And so we're trying to work with them in partnership to ensure that they get the resources to carry that mission out. And I, I, I couldn't be more proud of that. I mean, we've got hundreds and hundreds of graduates. We, we, we God is doing a lot. Yeah. And yeah. it's all because we have the audacity to simply believe the Bible. <laughs> that, 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 that if you're born again, literally, if God gets hold of your life and his spirit indwells you, then he's going to lead you, give you a calling, a gifting. He's going to put you in a community under good pastoral care. You're going to discover your gifts and be able to use them for God's sake. It don't matter where you live. It don't matter how much money you make or what you got. Or uh, That's a pretty basic thing. I don't know why it seems so radical mm -hmm. today, but... Yeah, speaking of seeming rat, why something seems radical uh, today? It, it and as you were speaking, it, it made me think about uh, mission work in the city. Mm -hmm. um, but it made me think about um, 
I think it was a, I think it was one of the capstone classes focused on reproduction and talking yeah, about church yeah. planting. Um, yeah. And, and I remember reading a supplement um, from one of the courses of every member, a minister. Yes. Uh, yeah. And, and when we talk about missions uh, work in the city and we talk about equipping men and women who are called and gifted and mm-hmm. uh, to go and, and, um, and lead and, and, in plant churches and in 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 a plant outpost of the kingdom in in their cities, um, uh, how is it that we've gotten uh, in, in your view? How do we get from um, that to uh, we just focus on the sage from the stage? It's all about the the leader up front and uh, consuming everything he or she is giving, and we receive it, and then we go back to our homes and our communities about our everyday living, but never uh, feel uh, empowered to then go and uh, do missions work uh, wherever we, wherever God is leading us. Oh yeah. And then it frustrates the leader. Yeah, it's like, that's a- <laughs> the people won't go do that. So, so it's like this, this, this strange dichotomy that's of right. uh, we need to empower right. members uh, to, to be missionaries. Yeah, that's uh, right. Yet we, want to be the sage on the stage, That's like the right. holder of all knowledge. That is, that is so good. <laughs> you know, the way you describe that, you really talked about a reinforcing loop. It's mm-hmm. like, it's, it's, it's sort of like the minister uh, does all the ministry and the, and the members just sit and receive their receptacles of, of the sage on the stages, you know, cleverness, brilliance, you know, insight or whatever. When the actual biblical, this is what a recovery of the biblical vision would do. We would recover the universal priesthood of all believers in a way that would allow the organic growth of the of the church. The church grew organically. Mm. Uh, Andrew went and got his brother Simon, said, man, I met the Messiah. And, uh, Philip went and got his friend Nathaniel and brought him in. The, mm-hmm. the, the gospel grows the gospel really grows through these organic lines of connection, friends and families and associates and co-workers and, and, and folk within our circles. Look, to me, uh, I always thought, uh, the little bit of time, Pete, I was in church planning, I always wanted to completely turn the universal priesthood in the city on its, on its head. Mm-hmm. But in, in other words, I wanted to commission a grammar and middle school kids as missionaries in their own place. I wanted, I, I, tried, I tried to install uh, business guys as, as missionaries in their own communities. You may work for Ford Motor Company, they may pay you, but you are an ambassador of Jesus Christ. And your friends and coworkers, your boss, the people you get a ride to work with, your neighbors, uh, the, the, the pr- people at the grocery store, uh, you know, just your 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 own uncle Ralph, just the people in your circle. That mm-hmm. is what Christianity. That's the that's one of the great things that the church, black church, is going to have to do. Look, I grew up in classic churches where the pastor and first lady. Uh, that's really important, and it's always been significant to honor uh, the leader. The leader in the black church, especially, has been not just a leader of the church, but the leader in society, a political leader, part mm-hmm. lawyer, part bills, bondsman, mm-hmm. you know, counselor. <laughs> he was your psychiatrist, friend, and everything else. <laughs> I mean, without without the black pastor, we would have no black community. 
Mm. Oh, that's a shout out to you, my brother. Thank you. Thank the you. That you do. <laughs> but 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 I do think you're right. If we're going to recapture the, the the biblical vision of the pastor, the pastor is the equipper, and the members are the ministers, and we need to equip them. No matter how look, I think, uh, you know, I wish I had a story. There was a story once. Uh, I was sharing the stage of of a brother at uh, at, at a at a huge church in New York City, uh, and one of the gangs there. Uh, impossible game to penetrate with the gospel. One of his daughters wound up coming to Vacation Bible School. And like any good church that has Vacation Bible School, on the last day, you invite the parents. Mm -hmm. Well, they invited this key lieutenant in one of the top gangs in New York City. He accepted the Lord mm. at the Vacation Bible School. Mm. Now, what are the odds that that brother would have came if it weren't for his little daughter? Yeah, his yeah. daughter worried him to to death. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna be the only little girl there whose daddy don't come, and you go. I mean, she was on him, yeah, and yeah. she she needled him to come, and he wound mm. up accepting Christ out of that. I think wow. that if we could, if we could, if we could rediscover the power of oikos ministry, of family unit, of our own natural, our natural friends and family and associates, co-worker uh, connections, and train a generation of folk to share with their friends and neighbors in a credible way. That's how the gospel runs. That's how the gospel grows. Mm -hmm. And that's the potential to me for the church. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, look, you you have to give up a little bit on the on the stage on the stage if you're gonna go to an oikos kind of <laughs> approach to church. no more anniversaries, huh? <laughs> 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 oh my goodness although i i must admit i i love going to the anniversary look the black pastor i am nothing i've uh, my whole life long pete mm -hmm. all i've ever aspired to is to be a good pastor mm -hmm. i just think there's nothing on earth like the black pastor and so we need that we need the pastor in, in churches that are at risk mm -hmm. but we need them to rediscover the biblical vision of the pastor as equipper and, and, and members as ministers. Yeah. If we could get that, if we could even begin to approximate that, we're going to see more fruit and greater impact immediately in our church. Yeah, I immediately had this vision uh, as you were talking about uh, commissioning uh, yeah. business people and commissioning yeah. kids in school. Yeah. I immediately had this uh, vision that every Sunday was a commission Sunday. That's right. You are commissioning right. people to go forth uh, in the benediction, right? That's exactly <laughs> and, right. I, uh, I agree. I think yeah. I think if we discovered this, Pete, then we could we could make Sunday school or cell group or small group more efficient. We could talk about people. How how can you how can you you pray and win and be winsome to your neighbors. How can you mm. woo people into the gospel and we draw them in? We could actually train them to become effective communicators in the circles of influence in the spheres of relationships that they have and not just the latest you know, series mm. or this and that. We could actually equip people to do the work of the ministry the way Paul talked about. Yeah, when you were talking about training, uh, and it wasn't until maybe three years in um, when I was uh, at World Impact, mm. um, uh, 
uh, and you know, doing Tumi court or capstone courses and uh, evangel church plant school and and just looking at all of the the work that you put into all of the curriculum and mm-hmm. um, even fight the good fight and, and yeah. the discipleship. Uh, and it, t- I kept seeing this pattern to repeat of, mm. wait a minute, he's just continuing to retell the story, the biblical story. So when you line all of the capstone courses up, it's teaching you to tell the story. Wait a minute. And then when I go to fight the good fight, it's just teaching me to, it's this drama and I'm yeah. just, so yeah. if I can become a good storyteller, yes, that's what discipleship is. It's discipling people into the story and teaching exactly them how to right. tell the story so they can tell the story so they can tell the story. That's exactly right. And honestly, I mean, you know, you you just discovered that I'm a wizard behind the curtain. I'm just <laughs> pulling, pulling switches and buttons. But you're exactly right. All the only thing that 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 real spiritual formation is in every sense is some some variation of theme on the basic story of God's love and rescue in Christ. Once you master that story, what is theology but reflection on that story in its mm-hmm. implication? What is worship but simply reenacting and 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 rehearsing that story uh, in the community of faith? What is spiritual formation but embodying that story? Just in your n- normal life, day by day, and what is what is being witness in ministry, but simply telling the story, like you said, every bit of our mission and ministry is nothing but some way of communicating, enjoying, rehearsing, reenacting, uh, being formed by, uh, reflecting on that story. So you're you're absolutely right. One of the things that I hope to do, Pete, is I'd like to form a storytelling sort of community. Mm. Uh, look, there's something about black preaching and 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 po folk. We just know I'm a, I'm from a long line of storytellers. We from mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, so uh, I'm, I'm I've already got a name for it. I'm I'm committed to doing that. I am I am committed to finding ways to helping a new generation of people who have been, for the most part, just ignored or not taken seriously, to become what you just said, the finest storytellers on the planet. Because if we do that, and we and we tell the biblical story with verve and interest and power, with color and music and arts, we can go from stage on the stage, man, we can, we can do this in every way. We can do this in music and sound and in, in, in sculpture and art and theater and dance we we can teach this we can we can get make the word come alive mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. frankly uh what would be better to to minister in communities at risk uh dancing communities i call them communities mm-hmm. that dance in the street <laughs> <laughs> those communities want to hear a good story i'm not sure if they want to hear the sage on the stage anymore but we, we're going to have to rediscover ways to communicate that story with power and clarity uh, and, and verve and be true to it while at the same time uh, making it sing in these communities that uh, don't want to don't want to go to church and just mm-hmm. ain't a part of that no more. Mm-hmm. 
And when I think about uh, just uh, this generation yeah. um, and uh, and what they grab hold to, they grab hold to stories. They grab hold yeah, to, to right. film and television right. and, right. and music and, yeah. uh, and, and, you know, growing up in the black church, the best preachers were the preachers who could tell yeah. a good <laughs> gospel story and then make that story That's connect right. to my story That's right. uh, to make me feel like I was a part of the story That's and I should exactly. continue it in my own life. Yeah, see, see, look, you just... You just gave me the preamble for this new group I want to start. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to just take a transcript of what you just said <laughs> and just just put it on paper. But you what, you, what you just said is literally the heart and soul of the challenge and the opportunity. Look, uh, to me, we made a fundamental error in our churches when we, when we thought, when we, when we jettisoned all theology uh, and sort of replaced it, with personality. Mm. But the problem is that if you just communicate theology the way the previous cultures have done it, if you don't clothe it in story, if you don't clothe it in, in narrative, if, if it's not clear in, 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 in the storyline, then nobody wants to hear it. Mm-hmm. But, but, but people listen to theology all the time. They get it in Star Wars and they get it in, in Marvel comics and they get, they get, there's all kinds of theologies, worldviews, paradigms being communicated in story uh, and done in a form that people find affable and they love it. Uh, they'll stand, you know, I, I, I probably wouldn't wait in line for a week to look at a show. You know, I mean, the, I, I got friends that'll do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you, what you just said couldn't be more true, Pete. I mean, we have to rediscover the biblical story in such a way that makes it, it's got to put, we got to pick the harp up out the mud. We got to learn, put dancing shoes on it. People have to, people have to hear this story with all of its richness and wonder. Uh, it's an amazing story of betrayal and, and grace, of, of power and welcome, of rescue and hope. We just need to tell it so people ain't bored stiff by it. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I mean, and I think what you just said it, 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 therein lies the great challenge. Therein is the opportunity, what you just said. We've got to make this story come alive again. I know we can. Mm. I'm looking yeah. for you. I'm looking for you to keep writing, man, and doing. I, I keep, I, I keep I, telling yeah. the story. <laughs> I keep telling the story. What I think of um, um, uh, just in terms of the missions work and, and even the history of, say, uh, World Impact and yeah. how it started with Bible clubs, it was missionaries who yeah. were uh, telling That's Bible right. stories. Right, yeah, to, right to kids and who came to faith and who they then began to you know walk alongside and disciple and uh, you know through the years and so it is uh, so. What would you say to, because uh, a lot of people that will listen uh, initially are uh, uh, black uh, churches that are in the RCA that are older um, and may uh, uh, be struggling to uh, engage this next generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so how does the church engage this new generation of young adults who are looking for a new kind of church, but maybe feel like they don't fit into the current structure that is available. Because it almost feels like, uh, as we talked about earlier, um, uh, uh, the history of missions uh, being mm-hmm. contextual, uh, and then something happened to where now you have to, uh, your your church has to look like dominant culture yeah, right, uh, in order to right. be valid. And so it seems like we've taken that same concept and said to this new generation, 
you won't be a legitimate Christian unless you dress like us, talk like right. us, look like right. us. And right. so we've just taken what's been done to us and we're you know, uh, essentially doing it uh, the same thing to to this this new generation. And so there's exactly. I don't want any part of that. That, so, is, that is so well said. Goodness. The, the, the answer lies in unpacking your own question. It's so <laughs> it's so rich. I think I think that there are a number of things that we can do. The first is what I know that you're doing, uh, Pete, is we need to recover the Christian story with with power. We need to recover. We need to recover a spiritual formation that will highlight and affirm the biblical story again. That story can be eclipsed or ignored. That story can be overshadowed by all kinds of other, you know, things. Uh, it can it can compete with false sinners, mm-hmm. substitute sinners of health, wealth, or doctrine, or family. Or there's all kinds of things that you can do to just overshadow the basic. Christian biblical story of God's love in Christ and his determination to save a remnant of human beings out this crazy fallen place. We need to recover that. That's that's the, the most fundamental thing. We need folk who can help us recover in our black churches. We can't be afraid of simply teaching the story. We need to go back. Uh, there was an old song we used to sing back in church when I was a little boy, little African-American church, take me back. Mm-hmm. Take me back to my father's praying ground. We need to go back to that. We need to be taken back. We need somebody needs to help us recover the basic roots of our faith that that animated our our foremothers and forefathers. Uh, you know, we need to rediscover that faith and sort of and sort of peel the onion of all these cultural accretions and all that stuff. Get back to that. If we can recover that, then we can welcome with the the new freedom that God is going to give us. And that's what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to experiment in freedom. Without that freedom, we can't, we're going to be telling people to, we're going to be more interested in the clothes that they come to church rather than the status of their heart. Mm. We're going to be, we're going to be more concerned about how people look than how, how their soul sits. Uh, when you when you really welcome this freedom, when you recover the roots of Christianity and really recognize that Christ was scandalous, he welcomed people that nobody wanted, then we have to we have to learn to experiment in what does it mean to it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Let's not be entangled again in a yoke of bondage. That was Paul's words of you know 20 centuries ago. That mm-hmm. that need is still here. It is for freedom that Christ set us free. We don't. We 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 can let we can help people rediscover what it means to be a Christian on their own terms, and the Holy Spirit can teach them. We don't have to just import our cultural baggage and just turn people into cookie cutter folk like us. Mm-hmm. Without recovery, there can be no freedom. Without that freedom, there can be there can be no impact. Those three things are key to me. We've got to recover the Christian the Christian roots. If we can do that, then we can welcome a new level of freedom, uh, freedom to express our faith, freedom to rediscover what it means to be a disciple of Jesus in the 21st century. Does it involve wearing nice clothes yeah. on Sunday? Yeah. Uh, can, can we meet on Tuesday evening and still uh, glorify God? Uh, can I be pole and mm-hmm. a leader? 
I mean, we once once we recover the the core, then we'll be free to experiment on what that core means. We'll be able to contextualize it in a way that will 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 serve to attract a brand new clientele, and then we'll see if we can really welcome these folks. Because if we open the gospel up on its own terms, a lot of people going to start coming to church. Yeah. yeah. Oh, a lot of people that are different than the kind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the ones that Christ died for is what I call them. Yes. Those kind of people. Yes. You, yes. you don't want Christianity to be a topping off religion for folk who, who are pretty much together anyway. Christianity right. should be a religion for people who like water go to the lowest spot first socially and begins mm-hmm. to rise from there. That's what Christianity is for Pope, broke, tired folk. Mm. I mean it's it's for people who got no hope. You know, it's 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 look, we, we we the only way we can become a sanctuary for those sort of people, we're gonna have to recover our roots and welcome and ex, a new level of experimentation and what it means to 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 really be in Christ and which don't mean be in our group. Mm. I mean, you have to let folk be who they are. Yeah, yeah. And when you were saying the um, uh, be in our group, um, it made me think about uh, missions, uh, church planting in the city, mm-hmm. and how the dynamics of the cities that our churches are in are changing. Yes. Uh, economically, mm. uh, they're changing uh, ethnically. Um, and so if the uh, black church uh, is going to thrive uh, in this future, in this next generation. Um, and we think about missions and showing up to who's in our neighborhood versus uh, driving uh, out to go and talk to the people that's already in our in-group, but mm-hmm. talking to the people that's in our neighborhood that might be Latino, Spanish speakers, might be uh, international students, might be yeah. um, uh, 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 what you call gentrifiers or right, might be whatever right, right. they're now showing up uh, to our cities. Yes. Uh, the church is still there, but now there are new residents. How, yeah. How does the church engage in missions in this multi everything context now? Yeah. See this to me uh, is, I mean, your question goes to the very heart of what it means to, to, to have a missional church, to have a church in a society that is dramatically at the, at the speed of light changing right in front of us, where you can be a pastor in, in, a, in a community and there are, you know, 12 languages are spoken and all kinds of different cultures right within a stone store of the church. Mm-hmm. I mean, people are speaking different languages, and and you go to, to to the local donut shop. It's it's owned by an Asian, employing black kids uh, whose clientele are largely Latino. I mean, it nothing. It all bets are off now, in in your ability to shape the old uh, post World War II uh, clean culture. Uh, this one unified. Uh, monocultural uh, community that just uh, if it's if it's of any size in America, it is just mind-numbing diversity associated with, which opens the question to me: uh, If there was one word, I would I would leave w- with you, Pete, on this. It would be open. Mm-hmm. They're going to have to open their hearts, and the the, the, the Kierkegaard, the, the, the you know Dutch philosopher and you know, Christian mm-hmm. 
now content. <laughs> he he wrote a he wrote a he wrote a, a a passage in one of his works that I've never forgot since grad school. He said that to really love well, you have to love with your eyes open and your eyes closed at mm. the same time. He said you have to love with your eyes closed. It's it, which Kierkegaard said, you're going to have to learn to love the people right in front of you, no matter who they are. Mm. You got to love folk. If you encounter a human being, there's a person who is worthy of redemption, protection, respect, even if they don't repent and believe. Look, mm. the one thing about church is that being an outpost of the kingdom, you can do good no matter what the person say. I don't care if they change their religion or whatever. Maybe you're the first step in a 15-step process to win this family. Who cares? Mm -hmm. If you encounter a human being, you encounter them to love them. Kirk, old Kirk Gar is right. We need to love people with our eyes closed. It, it, we can't look at people, what they wear or how they sound or the music they gravitate to. You got to love them as you find them. You can't care what they do. You can't ask them to repent before they do. It makes no sense to ask people to act Christianly before they even become a disciple. Yeah, You yeah. love them as you find them. You love them with your eyes closed. He said, then you got to love them with your eyes open. It means once you actually, once they respond, you have to actually love them as they are. They are a God 15-year-old who skate parks. It, you find them the way you find them. They, they, don't, they, they don't know how great thou art from, 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 from any song that Drake sang. Mm -hmm. They don't know any of this music or any of that. You got to find them with your eyes open. Look at them. Listen to them. So this, this what's really, what, what's striking about your question, Pete, is that your question gets right to the heart of what is at issue here. It, the question is not the people we serve. It's we who serve. Are we the kind of people who can be open enough and free enough and smart enough and, and, and experimental enough that we can let the love of God do things in us that we never dreamt? Can we actually care for people that we can't even understand what they say? Mm. And, and then start working to try to find out what they mean so mm -hmm. we can love them in the right way and not offend them. Yeah. Look, a lot of this depends on the quality of our ability to, to be changed ourselves. Change, the change that you articulated has to be met with change inside the person. If we don't change, we will not be able to manage this change. It's, it's a weird paradox. If we don't, if we ain't different, we mm -hmm. can't make a difference. <laughs> it's sort of like, you know, if if we can't if we can't become the sort of people that God can use, then we won't be able to to actually be the ones that He chooses to use in in the face of all this change in the very communities that He's put us in. Mm -hmm. And that's why that's why your question. Your question is always going to be bigger than my, my puny answer, man. You, your question is just, is huge and real and hard. Mm. But it's possible if we open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit and are willing to, to re recover the gospel in such a way that this freedom that Christ won for all people, we can begin to experiment in our church, in our lives, 
how how you know how this gospel makes us relate to them and serve them, come alongside them, come under them. Mm-hmm. There's a lot. There's a lot to learn. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to just first of all say thank you again uh, for uh, your time today and uh, just sharing your experience and and all that you have uh, gained over the years uh, with the uh, with the Urban Ministry Institute and um, your studies and World Impact and and the work you're continuing to do in forming leaders and training leaders who thank lead you. leaders. Thank you, thank you, sir. Yeah. Is the uh, lastly, is there anything, any last words of encouragement that you would uh, give to uh, the black church uh, in regards to to missions? Is there a is there a beginning book that uh, a church should read, a leader should read, you know, when it comes Mm -hmm. to missions um, and the history of missions and and how uh, it could be a a tool for the first step? You know, uh, Wow, a word I'll never forget. I was I was interview. I got to interview Cornell West when I was in grad school uh, at the University of Iowa School of Religion, and I asked him a question that had been on my mind, and his soul was was deep enough that I knew he would give me a good. I I said, if there's anything that Dr. West that you could that you could point to in the history and the struggle of the black community in America descendants of U.S. slaves, what would you say is the one thing that, 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 kept, that kept that community together, that kept them wanting to keep fighting, to, that kept, kept the long, dark night of racism in America, that, that kept them hoping for, for a dawn to come and light? I mean, why, why, didn't, why wasn't there a civil war and crazy things after the Civil War? What, what, kept, what kept Black hope alive? I, I sort of asked it flowery like that. <laughs> he, said, he said, Don, I know the word. He said momentum. Mm. He said momentum is the key. It doesn't matter how fast we go or how, how, how far we travel. He said, he said Black life in America has always moved forward. It's not being perfect. It's being incremental. It's not, it's mm. not making a huge difference. It's just ma- taking the next step. It don't, it don't matter. It don't matter what last season did. There's always the next game. He said, he said, black life is about the next step, the next journey, the next bend, the next challenge the next opportunity. He said, our our faithfulness in the past should give us hope to maintain momentum in the present and to give us some sort of hope that we can be different in the future. Mm. I mean, I've never forgotten. I mean, he he said it far more eloquently than that. But I I haven't forgotten his answer, especially his one-word summary, momentum. Mm. Uh, You know, there is a lot of things that we could read, but Oh my goodness, man! I, you know, Jesus and the Disinherited by Howard Thurman hmm. is a good book, man. And one one thing I like about him, he was a, a University of Iowa graduate. Oh yeah, there ain't that many black folk that graduated from University of Iowa School of Religion. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> but but 
anybody who can help us understand that the poorest, raggediest, most forgotten about person is still made in the image of God and deserving of our love and respect and care. Anything that can help us recover that. See, the black church was formed on that. Mm. Black church educated and fed and, and, and protected and advocated. It was the lawyer and the, and the doctor. It was the place, the center for romance and, 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 and leadership and politics. It was everything. It wasn't just a religious thing. It was a genuine community. So if we can recapture that, uh, freshly informed by this, this um, spiritual formation, brother, you trying to recover? Hmm. If, if that can lead the way, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. who knows what God could do with us in the future? Amen. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you, thank you so much. It was, uh, it was um, you know, uh, again, uh, a pleasure uh, having you uh, as a guest, uh, my first guest uh, as we <laughs> this uh, podcast uh, this month, and um, and just having an opportunity to sit and talk. I don't think we've ever had this. Uh, no, we haven't. This is so good. I think was, I think the closest we got was over lunch at the Oaks or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. We want to thank our guests for rocking with us today. Now, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. I said our because this podcast is not a one-person show. There are some folks in the background who make this happen each month for our listeners. I want to give a shout-out to our sound engineer, Garrick Steyer, logoing graphics by Warrior Design, our executive producer, Annalise Ratcliffe, and our assistant production manager, Lorraine Parker. I'm your host, Reverend Peter Watts with the AABC, and this is The Black Church Still Speaks.